Okay, here we go. No, don't do that. Okay. All right, I've got a magic trick I want to show you guys. A magic trick. So. Okay, you, some of you may not be able to see, so you might want to stand, but don't come up to the table because I don't want there to be any kind of a spill or an accident. Now, this is an interesting, interesting magic trick, and it's actually science. I don't fully understand it, but I know that it's, it's science, so watch. This is an empty plate, right? Nothing in it. Now I'm going to take just regular water. I'm going to pour it into the plate and see how it kind of fills yeah. the plate. Yeah. Can you all see that? Yes. Okay. Now watch what happens. This is just regular pepper. Okay. Now watch. I'm just going to shake the pepper onto water now watch I'm gonna take my finger and do magic watch <laughs> did anything happen yeah. mm. put some more pepper on here let's try again Did you see it? Did you see it move? away from your hand. Now watch this. This is what's really cool. You take soap. Dish soap. One drop, right? And you put the one drop on your finger. Just one drop of dish soap on your finger. Watch the pepper. It went completely away. Isn't that cool? The pepper does not like the dawn soap. The soap, the soap had the power to push all the pepper away from the soap. Isn't that cool? Okay, go ahead and sit down. I have a Bible story I want to tell you about this, about this magic trick. There was a time Way, 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 way far back where there was a man whose name was Moses. Have you ever heard that name before? Moses? No. Moses was the leader of the people of God, the people of Israel. And Moses was leading these people. Some people think that there might have been almost a million people of Israel walking through the desert. And guess what? Their enemy, the Egyptians, were coming after them because they wanted to take them back to be slaves. And the Pharaoh, who was the king of Egypt, had his army. Please don't swim this because this will make this spill really badly. Thank you. So the king of Egypt is coming after the people of Israel in the, into the desert. And he's got his army and he's going to capture them and take them back to be slaves. And you know what happens? The people of Israel come up to what's called the Red Sea. And the Red Sea is this huge, huge, huge thing of water. And they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to die. He's going to take us back. Hold on just a second. I'll let you tell it in just a second. I want to read to you what it says in the Bible about this story. 
It's found in the book of Exodus. This is my one of my favorite verses in the whole world. I love this verse. It said, it said, when the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, drew near to the people of Israel and the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and they saw the Egyptians were marching back against them and they were greatly afraid. And the people of Israel cried out to God and Moses, their leader, said, uh, they said to Moses, their leader, is it because there were any graves in Egypt that you've taken us out here to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out to, out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you when we were in Egypt? Just leave us alone that we might serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die here in the wilderness. And listen what Moses said. Moses said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and see God do something really powerful. He will save you today. God will work a powerful miracle. He will save you You only need to stand still while he fights for you. Yes, sir. He opens up the Red Sea. Literally, it was like God put his hand into the Red Sea and the waters, literally, the Bible says the waters just opened up. And it says that they stood up like a wall and they could, the people of Israel could walk across the bottom of the Red Sea on dry land. And then when they got to the other side, the Egyptians, the Pharaoh, he saw that they were getting away. So he sent his army down after them. So his army was down in there and then God took his hand out. The water came back down and all of the army was destroyed. And the people of Israel got away. Because God took care of them. God, by his power, put his hand down into the water. (sighs) The water separated. I can't do that. If I tried to put my hand in water, all would happen is my finger would get wet. But God, literally, with his power, was able to put his hand down into the water. And the water stood up like big, huge walls. And people were able to walk on dry ground to be able to get away from their enemies. That's how strong God is. That's how powerful God is. And God has promised us that if we will trust in him, he will take care of us like that as well. Now, I'm going to move this out of the way. Craig, bring our music up for our for our kids. Guys, if you want to join me in singing, this is this kid's song that we love to sing about how big and powerful and strong our God is. Go for it. Yes, sir. Everybody, come on up. Stand up and sing with me.
Amen. Amen. Let me pray with you guys and then you can go back to your class. Jesus, bless these kids. Help them to learn to trust you. That they all they have to do is stand still and you will go before them, behind them, above them, beneath them and around them and walk with them as they go through whatever trials going on in your strength, in your power. All they need to do is be still and trust you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, you guys head on back to your class. Uh, can you just wait on? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Come back. You know, the joy of uh, being here is uh, being here. Um, I don't know how to do this. I don't do this very often. As a matter of fact, I've never done it. Uh, my name is Evelyn, in case you don't know me. Um, I'm a member of this church, this congregation. Been here for couple of years. It's, uh, it's been a fun ride so far. Um, but these folks have been here for 20 years. Now, look around uh, just a little bit. Think about the people that you've encountered as you come and go. Now, think about the, the people you've encountered as you come and go. Come on, we don't like each other all the time. <laughs> Do we? I mean, come on. Let's, listen, you're not going to find anybody more real in this church than. <laughs> or me. Because <laughs> I'm going to tell you like it is. Um, this church is about 45 years old now. Closer to 50, yeah, maybe. Closer to 45. Closer to 45. And on average, this I think this place has had about. I don't know how many pastors, honestly, but. Enough that they average about four to five years apiece, right? Yeah. Can I add that? So um, I want you to think about this. The people that started this church began to pray for this body. And suddenly, after 22 years, they got this guy fresh out of Bible college. (laughs) Fresh also, if you will, because after 22 years in the Air Force... It takes a lot longer than a four or five years in Bible college to rid you of that military thing. <laughs> it does. So not to mention the fact that probably this congregation was a little bit much to handle. But come on, we're people. Let's, let's just get this right. We're people. And some days we're not as pretty as other days. Am I right or am I lying? Thank you. I'm gonna make yeah. I'm gonna make sure you. I'm gonna make sure you tell the truth. But then again, he wasn't any. No, he wasn't. He was fresh out. He was all fire for God. He, could, he was gonna come here and show you how it was done. Um, and look at the beauty in 20 years that has developed. The beauty of this man, this man of God, and we know him to be a man of God. We know him to do that. We know him to hear from God. And there is nothing in my mind. What else can you say other than you're under a pastor who listens to God, who does what God tells him to do, even when it's a little ugly? Because sometimes I'm kind of ugly to handle. I ain't, I ain't lying. I, and I'm probably a little uglier than most. I had to be delivered from anger. So... Needless to say, I'm a little uglier than most when those drivers cut me off. I still haven't mastered that. I think he has, though. (laughs) I drive 45. (laughs) 
I'm the guy that everybody hates to be behind. Everybody's like, stupid pastor. I have here a four-page letter that Mary wrote, and it's beautiful. But it talks about when he was fresh year out of college. It talks about how much we've seen him grow in his ministry as a man, as a husband, as a father. You know, he uprooted his kids when they were kind of old. Okay? Seriously. He did. And he said, let's go to Alaska. Better yet, let's go to Two Rivers, Alaska. Kids who had been around the world in England and big cities and big churches. When we, when we were here on our interview weekend, we video recorded driving around the Two Rivers area. Then we went home and we showed the video to our girls. And as we were watching it, I turned and looked at my daughter Amanda and she had tears streaming down her face. And I looked at her and said, are you okay? She said, we're moving to the sticks. <laughs> What I want to point out in that beautiful story is she knew. She didn't know just because her mom and dad knew. She knew because her mom and dad had raised her to listen to the to hear God. And so when she saw that, she knew. She knew. She may not have liked it much. Frankly, you know, when I moved from the big city to the sticks, Big Rock, Iowa, I wasn't impressed either. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me, and it's the best thing that's ever happened to us. Um, there's a lot more here. Uh, yeah, that's what I kind of thought, too. But I just wanted you to know the influence you've had. There's a handful of names here. There's a handful of names that are named um, that, has, that he's had influence over to become pastors, to become servants, wholeheartedly serving God. Um, that he's only going to discover and will only discover once he gets to heaven. Um, so what we did is, there's this big deal. Brittany, come on. There's this big deal called, uh, what's the name, what, what is it? Distinguished English Service Award. See? <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and, I, and they sent it to me, and I put it in the thing. It's called the Distinguished Service Award. And here's the challenge with a Distinguished Service Award. First of all, it's a piece of paper. It says to Bob that we love him and then we appreciate his service. But after 20 years, they only give you 60 words or less to say that in. I mean, seriously. You should have seen us in the boardroom trying to figure out how we were going to put everything into 60 words or less. So we did as best as we could. It says the Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene takes pleasure in presenting this certificate to Pastor Bob Sugden. In appreciation for 20 years of faithful devotion to Jesus Christ and teaching us consistently and being real. He's a real guy, and that's what makes him unique. I couldn't say that aloud enough. Your commitment is greatly appreciated and will guide generations to come. So de gloria, which is what he signs on everything. We take great pleasure and great honor in presenting Well, I, I thank you very much for this. It, 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 it speaks to me de- desperately, but 
I also need to say, and I've said this for many, many years, um, I'm the administrator and I'm the preacher. She's the pastor. She's the one that remembers you and remembers your mother, and remembers your aunt and remembers your cousin who just had surgery six months ago and remembers to ask about all of that. And I'm like, we know that person. So, so she's the, she's the one that has the pastor's heart. And well, just so, so you know, we got your back. Yeah. Cool. Okay, step up, Jerry. Just so you know, we knew that. And so who can follow something like that, right? I got nothing else to say other than Two Rivers Community Church of the Nazarene takes pleasure in presenting this certificate to Renee Sugden. 20 years of loving us, cooking, caring for our needs, her rides given, loving notes and words of encouragement, welcoming all who entered our doors with hospitality. We need When we needed someone most, you were there. Amen. And I'd like to say just for a moment, if I can, I have, uh, I've been a Christian, been born again for about, you see my son just turned 40, he was two when I got saved, 38 years I've been a Christian, I've attended three churches, well because when I was in the Marine Corps Jesus taught me loyalty. I go where I know I'm supposed to be. But I want to tell you, out of those three churches I served in, this is the first one where the pastor's wife does just exactly what her giftings are. Many of us expect the pastor's wife to run all kinds of committee meetings and be all kinds of different things. But these people are real. And you're not going to go anyplace else in my opinion, you're going to find a pastor and his wife who are more real, more loving, and more serving Jesus. Not serving you. Can I talk to you about that? But serving Jesus. Because they know, they understand, and they live for him. And his love, and his care, and his devotion to you flows from them. And I want you to know I prayed about that. And I'm stopping. <laughs> when we, uh, when we first, I mean, I've known I was going to be a pastor since I was 16. So God had called me when I was 16. But when we were talking about being a pastor, one of Renee's greatest fears was that she didn't fit the mold, that she didn't, that people didn't, she was worried about how she had seen through her own mom and dad's life and through others, how a church can chew up and spit out a family and chew up and spit out kids and destroy the husband or the, the pastor. And she was very concerned about all of that. She's lived that in her own world. Um, and she has said over and over and over again, especially in the early years here, how this church has welcomed her and made her feel at home and the, it has given her the freedom to just be who she is and to use her gifting and her talents and her skills and her spiritual gifts for God's glory without any expectations. And so thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Because you guys made this easy. This could have been really hard <laughs> 20 years in some place, but we... 
I, I, some, we were just asked a month ago when we were in the lower 48, so what are you guys going to do when you retire? And I was like, stay in Two Rivers? I, I don't want to leave. I love, love, love it here. And so whatever God chooses for us, we'll do. But hopefully it allows us to stay here for the rest of our lives because that's what we want. That's what we really, really hope can happen. So thank you, guys. This is an honor. Thank you. Here you go. Okay, kids, you guys can go down to your t- go to your teacher to your class, and uh, I got to preach. We have been looking at the book of First Samuel and studying the lives of the people who were part of that story, and. Uh, we're, we're transitioning with this, with this chapter. We're in chapter 20, for those of you who want to follow along. Chapter 20 is one that has been very familiar to me for years. I can remember as a young Christian reading this and going, that's a pretty cool story. But uh, I've never really taken the time to, to analyze it and chew on it more than just simply going, that's a pretty cool story. And so I've spent a lot of time with it this week. Um, I'm, we don't have time to read 42 verses and then talk about those 42 verses. So let me give you a synopsis of what happened in this chapter. If you recall, last week we looked in chapter uh, 19 where King Saul threw a spear at David. And David ran for his life and ended up going to stay with Saul, Samuel the prophet and King Saul actually sent agents to try and kill um, David there, right there in, in the, the village, the little, the little school of prophets. And we saw last week how the power of God came over all of the people that were coming against David and David was rescued. Well, the very first verse of chapter 20 says, then David left that school of prophets in Ramah and came to his friend Jonathan who was the son of the king. And he said this to him. What have I done? What is my guilt? What is my sin before your father that he's trying to kill me? And Jonathan says to him, Oh, far be it from that. My father is not trying to kill you. If he wanted to kill you, he'd tell me because he doesn't ever not disclose great things to me. There's no reason why he wouldn't have told me that he wanted to kill you. Now, I struggled with that for just a little bit because I was like, wait a second, wait a second. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 19, it specifically says Saul spoke to Jonathan and all of his servants and they should kill David. And Jonathan, verse two, told David, my father is trying to kill you. So be on your guard. So why in the world is Jonathan in chapter 20, just a few days later saying, oh, far be it from me. Far be it from anything that my father, he wouldn't be trying to kill you because if he did, he would be telling me about it. What changed? Well, if you go back to chapter 19, verse six, after Jonathan pled with his father to not do this wrong thing, this sin against uh, David, 
It says verse six of chapter 19, Saul listened to the voice of his son, Jonathan, and swore to him as the Lord lives. He will not be put to death. So the last word that Jonathan had from his dad was, I swear before God. That David will not die. So then David comes to him and says, what have I done? Why is your father trying to kill me? And David's, Jonathan's like, what are you talking about? Of course, he's not trying to kill you. He swore to God in my presence that he wasn't going to kill you. And then David says to him, your father knows how close you are to me. He knows our relationship. He knows that if he were to tell you his plans, it would grieve you. And as a result, he has hid this from you. So then Jonathan says in verse four, chapter 20, verse four, David, whatever you say, I will do it for you. Jonathan is reconfirming the depth of their relationship. Regardless of what daddy is saying, regardless of how bad the the situation is, Jonathan is saying to David, I've got your back, man. I will do whatever you need me to do. And so David says, tomorrow is the new moon. And I should not fail to sit at the table with the king, but let me go and me and that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at evening. Now, in our culture, we have no idea what that's talking about. So let me give you a real quick rundown. Uh, Craig, if you bring up Numbers chapter 28 on the screen for us, the, the passage is Numbers chapter 28 verses 11 through 15. Numbers 28, 11 through 15. Let me read it to you. At the beginnings of your months, you shall offer a burnt offering to the Lord. Two bulls from the herd, one ram, seven male lambs, a year old without blemish. Also three tenths of an ephah of fire, of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for each bull. And two tenths of fine flour for a grain offering mixed with oil for one ram. Next And a tenth of a fine flour mixed with oil as a grain offering for every lamb, for a burnt offering with the pleasing, uh, with a pleasing aroma, a food offering to the Lord. Their drink offerings shall be half a hin of wine for a bull, a third of a hin of ram, a quarter of a hin for the lamb. And then this is the burnt offering each month throughout the months of the year. Also one male goat for a sin offering to the Lord. It shall be offered besides the regular burnt offerings and its drink offering. Alright, so what this is, The people of Israel, their calendar was a lunar calendar. So anytime the new moon occurred, that was the beginning of their month. And the word of the the, the, the law of Moses in the book of Numbers gave an order to the people of Israel that at the new moon, you were to do an offering and gather as a people and celebrate to the Lord. And and feast to the Lord. It was literally a three-day celebration. So now go back to to, to 1 Samuel chapter 20. We're in verse verse 5. David says to Jonathan, Behold, tomorrow's the new moon. I should not fail to sit at the table with the king, but let me go that I may hide myself in the field until the third day at evening. If your father misses me at all, then say, David earnestly asked, leave of me to run to Bethlehem, for there is a yearly sacrifice there for all of his clan. If if the king says good, then it'll be well with your servant. But if the king is angry, then know that harm 
has been determined for him, uh, by him. So basically what happened is David said, we're going to do a test. I'm supposed to be in the court at the king's table because it's the new moon and we've got a three-day feast going on. And I'm supposed to be right there with, with the king and Abner and you. And some scholars say that it was just a table for four. And David was supposed to be there. We don't really know. We have no idea. But the, the bottom line is it was a celebration that happened every single month. And David was expected to be there. He was a general in the king's army. He was also the king's son-in-law. So he was a member of the king's family. It was an expectation that the families would all gather for this new moon celebration. So David had it. There was an expectation on the part of the king that David would be there. And David fully convinced that the king had it out for him, was convinced that this was opening himself up to be slaughtered by the king. And Jonathan's like, nah, you got it all wrong. So David said, look, let me hide. I'll hide for the three days. If your dad says anything, just tell him that I needed to go home for, for a special thing with my father and my brothers. And if your dad says, oh, that's cool, no big deal. Then we can know that, that indeed you're right and I'm wrong, that your father is not trying to kill me. But if your dad is furious, then that'll be a telltale sign that he's trying to kill me. So that's what happens. David doesn't show up. And the very first night of this three-day feast, David's not there at the table. And so the, it says King Saul thinks to himself, oh, he must be unclean. Now, we do not have time today to look at the rules about being unclean, but write it in your notes so you can read it later. Leviticus chapter 11. By the way, those of you who are there Wednesday night at Bible study, we looked at Leviticus chapter 11. It talked about being unclean. And most of those rules about being unclean said, if this happens and you are made unclean, you will be unclean until the evening. So new moon happens. David doesn't show up for the table for the feast. The king thinks to himself, he must be unclean. Surely he'll be here tomorrow. The next day comes. He still doesn't show up. Now the king is furious. Where is he? And Jonathan jumps up and says, well, he asked me for permission, blah, 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 blah. blah. And then the king, and then there's this big, huge fight. How did the king know that Jonathan was being deceptive. Again, reading our English Bibles, we wouldn't understand. But if you were able to read it in the original language, I'll explain to you. There is a verse. Um, where is it at? Sorry. Verse, okay, here we go. Verse 29, Jonathan, verse 28, Jonathan answered Saul, David earnestly asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. He said, let me go for our clan holds a sacrifice in the city and my brothers have commanded me to be there. So now if I have found favor in your eyes, let me, what does your Bible say there? Let me Get away and see my brothers. That phrase, get away, literally means escape from your hands. So Jonathan messed up when he was talking to his father. 
Because he said to his father, David said he needed to get away from you. He needs to escape. It literally means, though, if you go back to the Strong's Concordance and read about the, the, the definition of this word, get away, it literally means to be slippery and to escape. And so Jonathan, in using that word, tipped his hand. He said, David's trying to escape from you. And Saul, his response is he's furious. And Saul begins to call curses down on his own son. And because there are children present, I won't say what he said. But he called down terrible offenses on, on Jonathan's mother, calling her an impure woman, that she exposed certain things. Okay? Vicious, mean-spirited. And he was furious. And then when Jonathan tried to justify everything... Saul takes a spear and throws it at his son, trying to kill him. So in the morning, after all of this event, Jonathan is now fully convinced. And so he goes out to the field where he and David had arranged that they were going to meet on the third day. And he brings along with him a little boy. And Jonathan has his bow and arrows, and his, I mean a bow and a quiver of arrows. And he says to the little boy, I want you to run out there by that big rock. And I'm going to shoot an arrow. And then I want you to bring the arrows back to me. So Jonathan shoots. And I'm not sure the way it's written. Sometimes I was reading it. Sometimes it's like he shoots like a couple, three arrows. Sometimes he shoots only one arrow. I don't care. He shot an arrow. And the little boy goes running towards where the arrow landed. And the, the, the code was, if I say to the boy, the arrow is closer than you are. Come to me. That means all is well, you're safe, come back. If I say the arrow is too far, it's beyond you, you need to go get it, then that's the key to David that the, there is a problem and he needs to get away. So Jonathan shoots the arrow, the little boy runs after it, the little boy runs to where the arrow is, and Jonathan says, it's not there, is it? I thought it was farther beyond you. You need to go get it, go away and get it. And then finally, the little boy comes back with the arrows and Jonathan hands him his quiver. He hands him his bow and he says, go back to, to the castle, to the palace. So the little boy runs off and goes back to the palace, leaving Jonathan alone there. Why was it important that he had a, a child with him? So that when the king said, have you gone and talked with David? Jonathan could say, there was a little boy with me. I was just shooting arrows. Ask him. And the little boy goes, are you just shooting arrows? Totally innocent. But once the boy left, then it says that David and Jonathan met together. And it literally, look, read this. This is, this is just a powerful, powerful, powerful thing. Um, da, 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 verse 40, verse 40. Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy and said to him, go and carry them to the city. And as soon as the boy had gone, David got up from behind the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and they wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then Jonathan said to David, go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying the Lord shall be between me and you and between my offspring and your offspring for forever. And he rose and departed and Jonathan went into the city. At this moment in time, they don't know this, but this is literally the last time they're going to see each other on the face of the earth. These guys that, if you remember, we talked a couple weeks ago, 
Their souls were knit together. They loved each other. And this is the last time they're ever going to see each other. And that statement about Jonathan saying, when the time comes and you're made king, please honor this covenant between us and take care of my kids and my grandkids. Again, he was speaking prophetically because he didn't know he was going to be dead, but he was, end up, he was going to end up dead. And David, when he comes into his kingdom, literally says, is there anyone left of Jonathan's household that I can show mercy and grace to? See, that wasn't the case. Normally, when you took over for a king and the king wasn't in your line above you, you killed all the relatives. That's normally what happened. But David didn't do that. And we'll, we'll read more about that in the coming days when we get to that part, if we get that far in the story, because that's actually in 2 Samuel. But I wanted to focus this morning. I mean, that's the story, okay? I want to focus not on Jonathan, not on King Saul, not on the little boy. I want to focus on David. I want you to put yourself <clears throat> in David's place. David has done nothing wrong. He literally comes to his best friend and says, what is my sin? What have I done? Why does your father want me dead? I don't understand. What, what have I done? And he's then told by his best friend, trust me, I will find out. You stay here in hiding for three days. And that's what he has to do. Because of all the people in the court, Jonathan's the only one who's not out to kill David. Everyone else has been given orders to kill David on sight. So David is hiding out in a field. Maybe hiding, Maybe there's a cave by that pile of rocks. We don't know. But somehow, some way, David had to stay out in that field for three days waiting for the confirmation, either it's safe to come back or it's time to leave. Now, if you remember last week, we talked about when Saul threw the spirit, David, that was that was a, a release of da on David's part. David no longer had a responsibility to own, to be have allegiance towards the king anymore. OK, that was that was a cultural thing. So David no longer has an allegiance to King Saul. He just. He doesn't want to leave. This is his, this is his life. This is his best friend. This is, he's, he, wasn't he anointed to be the king someday? So God has already anointed him through the prophet Samuel and he's going to be the king someday. What in the world is going on? And he has to just sit there for three days with his own thoughts. Put yourself in that position. What would you be thinking? What temptations might come your way? As I, as I meditated on this for the last two or three days, because I've been thinking about this since, since Thursday, when I was started preparing for this sermon, I, I haven't had a clear picture uh, in answer to that question, what was David doing? But God brought into my view a video 
that I was then able to find online and purchase so that we could show it here this morning. It's just two and a half minutes long, but it is so, so right down the alley of this. And I want to show you the video and then I'm going to talk for a few minutes more. So Craig, go ahead and show that video. I have an exercise that I think will really help. Oh, okay. Stand here, face this direction. Now, do you trust me? Uh, no. I'm just kidding. This is all part of the exercise. All right. So Whenever I ask you if you trust me, you say, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Even though I don't. It's yeah. okay. So, do you trust me? Uh, yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Are you going to catch me? Don't worry about it. Okay, that's the part I'm worried about. <laughs> <laughs> and just trust me. Trust you. Fall back. Okay, well, Jesus, I trust you. Let's try this again. Just face this direction and keep your feet planted. Alright? Do you trust me? Yes, Jesus, I trust you. Now, fall back. Okay. I'm gonna do it. All right. I'm really gonna do it. <laughs> Good. Ah! Oh, you can't do it! You can't do it! You can't do it! You can't do it! You're ready for level two! Level two, you're ready for level two! Oh, hold it. You know what? You're too close. You need a little back. Oh, right. This one's a little bit different. Oh, okay. Uh, stand here. Uh-huh. But face me. There was a powerful statement in there. Just wait for the Jesus signal. Don't do anything until you hear me say, fall. So she had to wait in anticipation. I trust you. I I trust you. I'm, I'm waiting for the signal. Okay. And then it works. Yeah. And then he gives her the second phase where she's supposed to do something totally against everything that she thinks is normal and appropriate and right. It goes totally against anything to her worldview. And he won't budge on that. He says, trust me, do it. He doesn't go, oh, never mind, it's okay. (laughs) We'll come up with a different plan. No, this is what he asks of her. And she refuses. 
David is sitting in a cave. His life is literally in the hands of the one whom he loves and trusts beyond anything. There is absolutely nothing that he can do to fix the situation. There's nothing he can do to learn about whether or not his belief is right or wrong. He simply has to wait until his best friend comes back and gives him the information. That's number one. That's the fall back, do you trust me? But God did something else out, out of that. The thing I think David would have expected was Jonathan to come back and say, it's okay. God has cleared it all up. Saul's not mad anymore. Come on back. Let's go, buddy. Because David was anointed to be the next king. That was the plan. I'm supposed to take the place of King Saul. That's the plan. That's what's been revealed to me. That's what's been spoken over my life. God literally sent the man, Samuel, to my home in a private ceremony with my father and my brothers. And Samuel took a flask of oil and anointed me and spoke those words over me. And when he did, if you go back to those verses in, this, in, the, in the book of 1 Samuel, it says the spirit of God fell on David and filled him. That is what he has been walking in from that day forward. What in the world is going on? Why has the plan gone so bad? This doesn't make sense. Because the second phase of the trust me is, it's not going to end up the way you thought it was. The path is diverting. Do you still trust me? And David can no longer depend on his inn in the court. <laughs> He's always been able to say, Jonathan, what's going on? Talk to your dad. Now, David is left alone to be with God alone. Now, we, we're going to look at the story in the coming weeks and we'll see how David God brings about David's rise to power and authority in the, in the eyes of the kingdom, in the eyes of his, his own personal army that rallies around him. We'll see all of that in the coming days. But this is the beginning of all of that. David thought this was the tra trajectory of his life. And all of a sudden, God allows a detour. And he doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. And he's not getting a second word from God. And this is what I want you to walk away from with this. When God reveals God's perfect plan to you, and God speaks that perfect will to you, 
You walk in that regardless of the turns and the detours. You continue to own what you know God spoke over you, whether it makes sense what's happening or not. You continue to walk the path. And the challenge is, the thing that's so frustrating, and this is, this is the thing that, oh, just ate me up. David's life could have been so much more simple if Saul would have just gotten his act together. If Saul would stop being the jerk that Saul was, David's path would have been easy. And God already knew all of that when God spoke this over David. He didn't reveal it to David, but he knew it. There wasn't anything that happened that God wasn't prepared for or aware of or knew was going to be happening. Simply trusting the word I spoke over you on that day until I give you a different word, you walk in what I've given you. Same with that lady in the video. Face me and fall backwards. But there's nobody behind me. That's not the point. Do you trust me? But there's nobody back there. I'm not going there with you. I'm not discussing that with you. I've given you a clear word. Are you going to walk in the word I've given you? Yes. Then do it. And in her case, she couldn't. In David's case, we see that he did. Now, it was not an easy path. We're going to see next week that he, oh, it gets hard, real hard for a long while. And we're going to see all of that in the coming days. But this is the very beginning of that detour. The path he was on is still the path he's on. But it's not ending up the way he thought it was going to end up. And that's not a problem. Because God's still in control. God is still over him. God is still under him. God is beside him. God is before him. God is behind him. Whether he can perceive it or not. He simply has to walk the path that is laid before him. Trusting in the word that God spoke into his life through the prophet. And until something changes, continue down that way, regardless of the different bumps, detours, barriers, etc. that don't make sense, but I just have to continue walking. So I'm hoping, as I've said all of these words to you, that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about your own path and your own situation. And my question to you is this, and you don't have to answer me out loud. You don't even have to answer me. Just answer it within your own heart. What was the last word that God spoke into your life? And are you being faithful to that? If not, you need to do some work between you and God. If you are, then you need to ask for him to give you the strength to continue to walk the path that's before you with full confidence, knowing that the word that God spoke to you is going to come about unless God chooses to change it. But until he says something, I'm walking in what you've told me. Full trust, full confidence, without wavering.
That's your challenge for this coming week and the coming days. So again, 1 Samuel chapter 20, Numbers 28, 11 through 15, and that video. And if nothing else, that video. I will put that video up on our uh, our church's website just for a week. It's they did. I looked for a copyright. It didn't say anything about a copyright when I purchased it. So I think it's mine to do with what I want because I looked. They didn't say we couldn't use it for ministry purposes. So I will put it up on the on the church's website, and you can watch it again if you want to. But let's pray. Jesus, I ask that you would please speak to us. Help us, God to trust you, to continue to put our hope and faith and trust in you, to walk before you faithfully, to honor you with our lives. Bless us, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Elsie, come on up.